In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Because the Roman Catholic Church deifies Mary, we too often put her down. And I want to give her her rightful place in our study tonight because she was a very magnificent young woman. You might not believe it, but this passage is one of the most theologically, doctrinally, and prophetically packed passages that I can think of anywhere in Scripture. There's so much in it that we can only hit the highlights tonight. If we were to try to cover everything, we would be going from book to book, passage to passage, cross-referencing, and we just don't have the time to do that. I'm going to try to just bring out a few of the highlights that I hope will edify and challenge us in our faith and transform us as we go out these doors to be more what the Lord wants us to be. Let's begin with uh, the name Gabriel, which means hero of God. Now, it's very interesting that uh, Gabriel, he talks about the fact that he stands in the presence of God in verse 19. This leads a lot of students and scholars to believe he may be one of the four angels that you see surrounding the throne in Revelation chapter 4. But one thing we do know, whether we're looking at Gabriel, whether we're looking at Michael, all of the angels reflect God. Their job, their task, their purpose for existence is to reflect Him. And of course, they reflect Him in different ways. Michael is a warrior angel. Gabriel is a teaching and an encourager and exhorter. But it is very interesting that whenever he appears, he appears as a man. So Gabriel appears, and you might be interested to know that the only thing Gabriel ever appears for is information about the coming of the Messiah. We only have three people in the Bible that Gabriel ever appeared to. Now, there may have been more, but he's not named. Those he appeared to by name are number one, Daniel. 
In Daniel chapters 8 to 12, there's the longest section in which Daniel's standing there listening and Gabriel is basically teaching and explaining and in some cases actually giving uh, visions of the Messiah. And then, of course, he appears to Zacharias earlier in this chapter, Luke 1, 11 to 20. He revealed the miraculous birth of John the Baptizer. Why is that important? Because John the Baptizer is the forerunner of the Messiah. And then, of course, here to Mary, who would be the virgin mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says that Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. That's uh, very important. This is the town uh, in which Mary lived. Uh, it's significant because it fulfills a prophecy that you might have pondered over, uh, maybe wrestled over. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23, when they come back from Egypt, it says that Joseph led them to Nazareth. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, listen carefully, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he should be called a Nazarene. I have a challenge for you. Find me a passage in the Old Testament scripture that says he should be called a Nazarene. You'll search in vain. You can't find it. And yet Matthew said that this was a fulfillment of the prophets, plural. Many prophets anticipated that he would be called a Nazarene. Well, I have my idea, and you'll probably remember that there are a number of passages in the Old Testament that refer to the Messiah as the branch. Remember those? I'll give you a few passages. In fact, I think these are all the passages. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Jeremiah 23, 5. Jeremiah 33, 15. Zechariah 3, 8. Zechariah 6, 12. Why is that important? Because the word branch in Hebrew is Netzer. Netzer is the root of Nazareth. Isn't it amazing? God named a town just so a prophecy could be fulfilled concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. How it all came about, we have no way of knowing. It goes on to tell us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. This is going to become significant, but I'm going to save the importance of that for a little bit later. It is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Mary comes from Miriam, which goes all the way back to the sister of Moses. You remember Miriam? And it's very interesting that Miriam is probably derived from the Egyptian Marie, which means beloved. Could you see the love story beginning to develop? Beloved. In verse 28, Gabriel identifies the character of Mary using three phrases. I think these are important and this should be a challenge to each and every one of us. You know, many scholars have suggested that probably every generation of young women in Israel dreamed that possibly, maybe, they would be the one. Could I possibly be the one that would give birth to the Messiah? Well, here it came down to Mary and I think Gabriel's words to her explain something about why she was chosen. He says that she was highly favored. Now, favor, of course, refers to grace. We'll see that in a moment. She was highly favored or highly graced, highly blessed. And this shows me that she was living in intimate association with the grace of God. Her life was enveloped in grace. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't just happen. It's available to every one of us. God's grace is available to us all. Paul says grace upon grace and upon grace. In Romans chapter 5, he says much more grace. Much more than what? Much more than anything you've known up to this point. There's more grace available. How do we get it? Well, it's very simple. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, Peter said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to, to the humble. Jesus began his public teaching ministry with the Beatitudes. And he began with the statement, blessed, you could say graced, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit. Now there are two words for poor in the Greek language, and this word is that sounds like what it means, to spit upon, takos. Because these were the people that were so poor, so destitute, so absolutely helpless that when people walked by, they would just spit on them. They were what you would call the dregs of the earth. God gives grace to those who realize how poor we really are, not maybe in comparison to other people, but in comparison to our God and to our Lord. So the Lord is, has highly favored you. And then he says the Lord is with you. And that indicates that she was living a life of fellowship with God. In other words, she was living by faith. You have to realize we're talking about probably a 14 or 15 year old young woman. That was the typical marriage age at that time. How spiritually deep was this woman? Now I know because the Roman Catholic Church deifies Mary, which by the way is idolatry. Because the Roman Catholic Church deifies Mary, we too often put her down. And I want to give her rightful place in our study tonight because she was a very magnificent young woman. She was living in fellowship. She was living in the sphere of grace. He said, blessed are you among women, indicating that she represented, I believe, the ideal woman. I want you to notice what he did not say. He did not say, blessed are you above other women. Blessed are you among women. She represented one half of the human race. She represented God's ideal for the woman. And of course, immediately our mind starts going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when we read the first promise of the Messiah that tells us that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Keep that serpent in mind. He's going to come back a little bit later on. And so, having greeted her, Mary responds within herself and she responds in two ways. She was troubled and she considered. The word troubled is actually an intensified verb and it literally means terrified. You know, there's an interesting reaction that you will find in everyone in the Bible when the invisible, unseen realm intersects with the human realm. They're terrified. If you want to see a vision of the Lord, prepare yourself to be terrified like you have never been terrified before. Because the spiritual realm is something that we're not qualified or capable at this point of taking in. So she was very troubled. She was also considering, and I love this because the word considers, the word logizomai, it's the word that Paul uses for the imputation of scripture to us, but it's actually a mathematical term. Uh, the word logizomai is a word that means to add up the facts and come to a conclusion. It was a term that was used in bookkeeping and, and it was a mathematical term. Mary being the kind of young woman that she is, and there's more about her later on in the chapter that we obviously are not going to be able to go into that just keeps elevating her in my mind. What a magnificent young woman. What kind of facts do you think she's adding up? Here she's had an appearance of an angel that calls himself Gabriel and tells her that she is highly favored and so on and so forth. And she's standing there dumbfounded, terrified, and she's in her mind casting about with what? Scripture. Scripture. She's beginning to add up the facts of Scripture. Now, at, at 14 years of age and being a young woman, you know, there wasn't a lot of attention paid except by the parents to the training of the young women. The young men, as soon as they became a young man of the law, their bar mitzvah, they got some really intensive training, but not so much the young women. I'll tell you something interesting, and you can look this up for yourself later on, in what's called the Song of Mary, which in Luke 1, 46 to 55, there are 15 references to Old Testament scriptures. Off the top of her head, she begins to sing, and she sings a song composed of 15 Old Testament texts. Anybody here want to try that tonight? How about 10? 
maybe five, three. You know, we can get John 3.16 and a couple of others in there. This woman was a scholar of scripture, which tells me since it was not pushed to train the young women so much in the law, she was searching on her own. She was hungry. She loved the word of God.